Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of the sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep will drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals and impact your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. We're excited to announce the release of the Exvoyant Sales Leadership eBook. This book features secrets of some of the world's greatest sales leaders. You'll be introduced to coaching tactics, the building blocks of high growth, and other insights you can apply to help how you lead your team. This book is free, no strings attached. So head to exvoyant.com, download the book, read it, and share it today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we are in for a fun conversation as we are jo- as we are joined by Charisma Moraski, Vice President of Sales for Conversica. Conversica is an artificial intelligence platform that presents itself as your human sales assistant. Your assistant reaches out to every single one of your leads and engages them in a human conversation where people truly feel like they're interacting with a live person. Charisma's teams help sales teams grow faster while reducing the cost of scaling. She's been involved in driving amazing success stories with iconic companies like Network Solutions and helped Trulia achieve profitability and prepare for their IPO. I'm really excited for this conversation. Charisma, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Rob, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to talking to you all week. Well, this is going to be a fun one. I know you well enough uh, that we're talking about topics that we both get excited about, and uh, our listeners are in for a fun ride. And, and to set it up, maybe we could start with Conversica and where you are, and, and then we'll get into your story. AI is hot right now, uh, Charisma. I don't know if there's a hotter conversation topic in sales than AI. And I don't know if you know my good friend Jim Dickey or not, but he told me many times that AI is a party you do not want to be late to. Maybe you can share with us a little bit about Conversica and where you fit. I'll be happy to. And, you know, I never like being late to parties and I always like to shut them down. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited, very excited to be in the AI space. Uh, you know, when I think about AI and I think about Conversica um, and just the, the vertical in the space in general, it, it's less about um, the buzzwords and it's more about really what you're trying to accomplish as a company. And every company is really trying to accomplish two things. It's growth while reducing costs. And when you think about how you scale a sales organization, and scale is one of those buzzwords, there is a human element that you have to have in that scale. And then there's intrinsic problems that come with how you scale an organization with people, uh, vacations, sick times, various things that go wrong. And then you think about 
how you can start that skill and help your people grow as people and really be able to focus on the tasks that are really important and really need that real human touch versus what can be done through automation and now not edit, not just automation, but through artificial intelligence. And so where Conversica fits in really well and where most AI fits in is this ability to help you take care of all the tasks at scale within your organization and really help you scale your go-to, where we're focused the most right now is in your go-to-market functions. Anywhere there's an individual contributor, in most cases it's a capacity model. And the reality is with capacity models is they break any time the, the flow of tasks, and in most cases where we fit today is lead flow, anywhere the flow of tasks isn't very steady and can fluctuate and you want your lead volume to constantly grow and you can't really ramp and scale talent that quickly, as quickly as you want to grow, that's where artificial intelligence really comes into play and can really talk and talk to your customers in a very intelligent, very human fashion, um, but at a scale that you just can't achieve quick enough um, while you're trying to grow as a really hyper-growth company. And that's where we fit in, and that's the type of organizations we're targeting right now. So I'm excited. I want to come circle back to that as we get into it, because one of the questions I think I want to ask you that I think our listeners are going to dig is a lot of people wonder, like, what are the things we should be looking at for AI, and what should we be afraid of, and what should we embrace? So I'm going to circle back to that, because I think – you're going to be able to answer that in a way that none of our guests so far have even started talking about. So thank you for sharing that. But I'm really also interested right now, and, and, and Conversica is such a cool company, and I love your journey, though. Can you share a little bit about what got you into sales, and how did you end up at such a cool company like Conversica? Uh, so, you know, um, we talked about this before, I, right before we joined the podcast. So I think, you know, I got my uh, start um, in sales at five years old. Uh, I was in Troop 265 as a brownie uh, in a small town in Galax, Virginia. I love it. I freaking love it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting because I actually got my picture. I had to sell the most Girl Scout cookies. And I think the thing that I, um, as I look back at my younger self and I, and I try to challenge my older self to, to really challenge that younger self more is I had this way even then of looking at everything as a process or, or milestones to drive to. And so I remember having the conversation with my mom pretty vividly every year about what our strategy was and how we were going to sell these cookies. And so first I would target the apartment complexes because it was like this one to many approach. And I, I can explain it much more eloquently than I could as my missing two front teeth self at age five. Uh, but I wanted to hit them first because I could get to all these different people at, in a very short period of time. And then I wanted to go to like the little suburbs where the streets had multiple houses. And then finally, since I lived in this really remote area, we would go to um, where like every house was a mile in between houses. And this, this poor woman who was amazing, and I miss her to this day, would just drive me to all of these locations in my order exactly how I wanted her to. And um, for three years running, for the three years I was in the Girl, the Girl Scouts in this troop, I sold the, sold the most Girl Scout cookies. And funny enough, when I graduated college and I started looking for my first sales job, I had this uh, this little portfolio I would show of things that I'd done um, with what limited exposure you get you got back then. And I'm not going to date myself, but uh, I had this little <laughs> portfolio that I would show everyone. And in that little portfolio was this little picture of me with no front teeth standing in front of these mounds of boxes of these cookies that I had sold. Um, and it was in the local newspaper. It was all faded, and you know, I had that bad bang haircut that you had back in the the 80s. I just 
dated myself. That's and, all right. Uh, you know, every year, and then I would show that. I think the first three jobs I had, I still showed that. So I was very proud for a long time. That You're going to send me that picture. We're going to use it for the artwork when we promote the show. That's the picture. That may never happen, but we'll see <laughs> So there's like 10 stories in that story. And I just interrupt you because I still want to hear how that takes you to, to Conversica. But what's so cool about it is so many lessons. A, you're not very competitive, I can tell, just by listening to you. Not at all. No. Uh, you're process driven. But what I really also like is you're like collecting these success stories. You, you, you're, you're impact oriented. You're, you're, you're not just out there working hard or hoping. There's, there's, we could have a podcast just on lessons learned from selling Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> Oh, I, I hope it needs more than that. But, you know, it was, it was fun. And um, I think it was it was the first time early on that I realized I had this calling and I had a, a, an innate knack to do things like that. So where did it take you? Tell me how that lands you at Conversica. You know, um, it was interesting because all through, you know, um, back when I grew up, we had, to, you know, especially in the area, we had to work. Um, you know, you were you started working at 15 and 8 months. And um, so a lot of times what you did is you worked in retail or you worked in restaurants. Those were the two companies that ha- hired um, young people um, most frequently. And so I got my um, start in brick-and-mortar retail and worked retail for a while. And from retail, one of the natural evolutions is um, the call centers in the early 90s would start recruiting from retail and um, and uh, food service industries because those individuals worked really crazy hours and didn't have their weekends free and things of that nature. But call centers, most of the time, you either worked like Sunday through Thursday or Monday through Friday. So the hours, um, like at Capital One, for example, which is where I landed, that kind of pivoted me into – to, to my what I would consider one of my most pivotal roles, um, but they would recruit from those brick and mortar stores uh, because they had good talent that knew how to sell, um, and they could offer a better schedule and higher pay. So Capital One recruited me out of at the time I was working for J Crew um, in brick and mortar, and then from Capital One, um, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to get into technology. Um, I'm not really sure how I knew that. It was just one of those things that kind of came about. My brother. Um, Kevin is a is a really big computer geek, um, nerd to the core, chemistry, you know, genius, 4.0, you name it. Um, I can never compete with that. Uh, we talk about the various things I can compete with, but the you know, the nerds and book smarts are not one of them. Um, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, and he was talking to me about technology, and this is, you know, late 90s, um, and it was kind of foreign to me, but I knew I also wanted to go to Northern Virginia. And so I was looking around that area for opportunities and I came across a company called Network Solutions. Uh, and I talked to my brother about it because he's my confidant and an amazing person and much smarter than me. So I was talking to him about the opportunity and um, this was the early 2000s. And Network Solutions was um, pivoting away from just being the early domain provider and really trying to branch out into other products. They had had a merger with VeriSign and then had demerged from VeriSign. And so one of their large initiatives was to be able to take market share from VeriSign where they were always the leader, which was SSL certificates, secure socket layers. Yep. I got an opportunity to join the sales organization and actually help lead that entire endeavor of kind of coming in, not only selling some of the other suite of products that they were just launching, like hosting. I don't know if you remember the term image cafe platforms. I totally remember it. Yes. <laughs> so again, dating myself, but all these like really early website driven technologies, hosting, image cafe, uh, website design, they sold a full suite of products to 
to basically small business users, some of them mom and pop shops, some of them fairly large. Uh, and one of the, the interesting things they wanted to do was launch SSL certificates and take market share from VeriSign. Um, I actually got to run the sales team or have direct responsibility or have indirect or direct responsibility for the team out of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, as well as launch a brand new team out of Toronto, Canada to actually tackle that secure socket layer SSL certificate endeavor. We went from zero to a $20 million run rate off of SSL certificates alone within my division. Holy and we grew God. the team from the three initial individuals that we launched it with to a little over 20 when I transitioned out. Um, so it was a phenomenal, just very um, strategic initiative that we did. We were very heavily focused on price, value. Uh, we had what we called a three-call close. Um, most of the time we could do it in one, but they had three calls to close. And it was just one of those chances. Um, I consider it a chance in a lifetime, indirectly responsible for a 100-person uh, call center and directly responsible for a 25-person call center. So it was um, – a phenomenal opportunity really kind of solidified my ability to work in the technology industry and actually scale and grow a team um, over the course of nine months um, to a really profitable level. That's a great story. I, what, a, what a great way to get introduced to tech. And so now uh, you're leading a team in the AI space at Conversica, probably yes. leveraging a lot of the same lessons that you learned through uh, along the way that started when you were five. And now that you're, you're using not very, not very later, and, uh, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love your story. And, and you're in a great spot. You're in a hot spot there in the Bay Area where you get to see all kinds of killer success stories, but you also have seen some of the probably more epic failures happen. Uh, one of the things that, that happened, in fact, this is funny. I, ha- I have a cousin who was just on Shark Tank this week's episode of Shark Tank. And uh, his biggest challenge was he couldn't get a sales leader that could help him get his product sold. He was had a great idea, great product, could not find someone to get it to get sold. As a sales leader uh, that's had a lot of success and has been around some of those that haven't, what do you see the great sales leaders do differently than those that maybe be less successful? Oh, absolutely. You know what? I love that question. And um, I think when we chatted about it originally, I tackled it from – Really a development standpoint um, from individuals that you lead as a leader, um, because I think that's a fundamentally really important piece of being a leader that gets overlooked based on other results in some cases. But so I'm going to tackle the question in two parts. One is, you know, driving results. And the other one is going to be how you develop the next bench of leaders because you're a true leader. I feel like that's as much a responsibility as driving the end results and metrics, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I can't wait to hear it. Absolutely. So when I think when I come into an organization, one of the first things I do when I look at what we're trying to sell is is what are we trying to sell? Who are we trying to sell it to? And then how do we sell it in a means that fits their typical buying patterns? And how can we establish milestones within those buying patterns that we can help train our reps to drive to systematically so that you can build this really repeatable sales motion and sales model? Um, so that's my typically my blueprint for success. And it can edit, it can be edited various ways depending upon how complex or how simplistic a product is or how complex or how simplistic messaging is. Um, all of those are things that you look at. What are you trying to sell? Who are you trying to sell it to? And is there milestones that you can help your reps understand to drive that sell to closure in a very methodical approach? That's really typically boils it down to just the heart of what I do. I talked to you about the three call close we implemented at Network Solutions. That was 15 years ago at this point or 10 years ago at this point. And uh, 
I'm starting to try to do math. I'm a salesperson. Don't don't let me do that. But uh, you can do commissions, I bet. Can I can do commissions. Yeah. I can't do date and time <laughs> math. It's it's amazing how that works, right? Like yeah. I can tell you how much you owe me, but what That's year right. it was might might elude me a little bit. Uh, but it was years ago. We'll put it that way. And uh, I still use the same three call close methodology. It just what the milestones in that three call close is is, is typically can, can vary. Um, or that's what I do when I build inside sales organizations or, or mostly hybrid or inside sales organizations where you have an ASP up to about 50K. Once you start talking enterprise and over 50K ASP, then you have varying processes that you may put in place. But the place that I like to stay and, and where I feel like I had significant value and can drive enormous growth quickly is in that 50K ASP or less range, right? That's just, okay. that's just something I love. Um, then the second piece is, are you developing the next bench of leaders? Can we pause before you go there? Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about milestones for a second. Yes. Milestones is a cool idea. I want to I want to peel back the onion a little bit if we can. What what's your definition of a milestone? Is is it something just a salesperson does or what does do you do you pair that with some kind of a, a verifier or something like that that comes from the buy side? How do you marry buying and selling inside a milestone? It, you know, it's a really interesting, interesting question, and I would actually say I boil most things in my life, um, regardless of what it is, down to what could the milestones be and how do I drive to those milestones and execute. Um, it helps me understand if I'm getting to my objective. But when I think about it in terms of, of a sales process, typically what I'll do is I'll come into an organization, I'll listen to a bunch of calls um, at varying levels of the sales process. And what will become clear very quickly is patterns, right? You look for these data patterns that start emerging. Oh, most of the time, you know, we have this first call. We don't have all the right people on the call. Um, and, you know, we don't have a technical person. Well, you know, probably what you need to do is have drive to a technical deep dive where you ask for X, Y, and Z person on the call. Um, from there, most of the time, what you need to do is show that you have this value proposition or there is a return on investment. Well, clearly, we probably need to have a call three, which is a business review and close plan. And so what you're doing is just looking for these patterns in the data that the customers are typically your, buying, your, your buyers are trying to tell you, hey, I need these things to happen before I can purchase from you. And then what you do is you build them into your process. And you look for, I always call it the 80 20% rule, right? 80% of your deals can follow this flow with pretty much ease. And then 20% of them will fall on the outside, and that's fine. We'll treat them as snowflakes. But most of the time, your customers actually tell you what they need you to do if you just listen. Yeah, so that's does that help you scale? Does the milestone type approach, or I guess it probably does. A, does it help you scale? But B, how does it help you scale? What does that do to make things more predictable and repeatable? And and I want to dive into that because I, I know we're going to have some listeners that are saying, oh, I'd like, I wonder what that milestone, I wonder how I can make more milestones happen inside my sales process. Absolutely. And so when you're looking for milestones, what you're trying to do is control the process as much as you can, right? Like the reality is, is your buyers are going to buy the way they buy. And if you can figure out the patterns in that, that fits the 80% rule, what you can do is drive more quickly to the results that you normally have to wait for them to figure out that they have to tell you. Um, so for example, when you come into a sales organization and you don't have those milestones and your reps don't necessarily know to drive to each one of those milestones, the sales process is controlling them. They're not controlling the sales process. And they're almost waiting for the customer to say, hey, I need to bring my technical person on. Mm-hmm. Well, that may take one customer a week. That may take one customer three weeks. Uh, whereas if you say, hey, most of our customers do X, Y, and Z, and then instead of waiting two or three weeks, you drive it. First week, you have your discover call. Second week, you have your technical and process deep dive. Third week, you have your business review and you have your business review and close plan. What you've just done there is control your sales cycle, and you can estimate it to be between 30 and 45 days. 
when you're allowing your customer to, to have to, where you're making your customer, and this I think is a disservice to your customer, when you're making your customer have to figure out what they need themselves, then what happens is it can take three, you know, two months, three months. It's all over the place. Sometimes they don't know who they need to bring in. Sometimes they don't realize the cross-functional impact. And when you come to the table with that, not only are you doing them a service by helping them also maximize what time they're putting into your to your sales process with you, but you're also helping them actually become the, the, the champion internally, and you're actually helping them manage other people's time and expectations more appropriately. And it becomes a very good buying experience for both parties. And the reason I love that, Charisma, and I'm glad that you didn't mind me pushing pause and diving into that a little bit, because if it's, I agree, I think it's a killer approach to, to doing it right. Um, Sean Murray, the CRO of Sales Loft, when he was on the show talking to me, he shared some CEB stuff around 53% of customer loyalty starts in the buying process. And so if you can help them have a, a, a smoother, simpler buying process where you're guiding them rather than just responding to them, uh, I, I have to think that they appreciate that when it's all said and done. You know, I think they do. And I think, um, you know, I think that comes out as the process continues and you start becoming this trusted advisor. And one of the things I continue to challenge my reps with, and, and I don't want to sell to someone. I want to be in a sales process with someone. I love and that. I think it's, it's a discovery and it's an exploratory experience on both sides. And the more that you are invested in seeking to understand their needs and helping them understand cross-functionally, how that interacts or interplays, the more you become that trusted advisor and the stickier the relationship becomes from the beginning to end. Because I don't really look at the go-to-market functions with marketing, sales, and customer success as siloed organizations. To me, they are one contiguous motion that needs to be in lockstep each step of the way because the end result is, is we all should care about the customer. And if we care about the customer in the right way, then we're all doing the right things and the company will, will experience explosive growth as well. Bam. Love it. Last question on milestones and I'll let you off the hook on this. So just cause I, I, I think it's such a great topic. In fact, we've had a lot of people talk about process, but I don't think we've ever had someone dive into a, like this milestone conversation before. So I'm, I'm, I'm digging what you're laying down right now. Well, if you think about it in terms of psychology, like people can only process so much information because, or, or, or keep a process in mind with so many steps because we process so many millions of pieces of information in, in such short periods of time. If you can keep everything down to milestones or the major things you're expecting them to do, they can just process it clearer and it becomes like marching orders. And so when you think, I always try to do it in terms of three, if I can, no more than four, because then they're like, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to do X, Y, and Z. How many times have you ever said to yourself, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be good. And you, you just think in terms of three. And, yeah. and I just try to keep it really simple for my teams. Everything else is hard. What they need to do on a daily basis should be simple. Okay, I love it. So that, that that's, again, now here's my last question on this. Do you ever get like fool's gold? Do you ever, like, how do you know it's a true milestone? Have you ever seen like something you think is a milestone, but turns out it's not? Is it, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, does that, does that happen? How do you know? Is there any last advice you can give our listeners on how to really know if you've got a legit milestone? Well, you know what? I'm perfect. So it's never, no, just kidding. Yes, it happens. <laughs> so it's really about making sure that you're getting, uh, you're never, I, I have to say, I'm no, yes, you can. Uh, it's really about making sure that you're not um, prematurely making decisions 
that you're really entering into the data collection process with an open mind and you're truly trying to collect data and look for patterns. If you try to artificially shorten your data collection or you try to artificially or you try to make the patterns match something you want to do, then you can end up with a false positive just like anything else in life, right? If you're really opening it up and you're just saying, okay, look, I'm going to listen to a bunch of calls and I'm going to listen to what the customers are saying at varying levels of where people think the deal is and I'm just really trying to hear them and I'm not trying to put my notions on them and you just collect that data, I think you'll, the patterns become pretty clear to you. Uh, and sometimes what you'll do is you'll start off with three and realize you really have to have four. Or sometimes you'll say, you know what, there's really only two milestones. Like this is a pretty simple product and pretty simple sell. And you'll say it's only two. Um, but just, you know, just be open and seek to understand and listen. Don't try to hear, try to listen. That's a great piece of advice. That's a good way to end that. Don't try to, don't try to hear, try to listen. That's good. All right. So, now you were about to go to number two, which was developing of talent. And I'm, I'm very interested in this one as well, because I know this is one of your superpowers. You're really good at this. And I'm excited for this part of the conversation. So if the first part of what helps sales leaders be really successful is milestones, take us into what you think the second part is. So I think, I think it's twofold, right? So it's about developing the next bench of leaders, because that really is, if you're a sales leader and you're a people manager, then your job is to lead people and to manage people. And if you're not growing them as individuals, you're poor or you're doing poor in both areas. Um, and I consider that really important to me. I don't like to consider, I don't like to fail, right? We all do, but... Uh, if you fell people, to me, that's a lot worse than missing a number one month, right? Like, it's really Agreed. about developing the next bench of leaders. But when you think about developing the next bench of leaders, it also so does something for you as a sales leader that is really important for the growth of the company, which is which is scale. Uh, if you can't scale yourself and you're not providing transference of knowledge to that next bench of leaders, then you're not scaling yourself. And what you're creating is a single point of failure, and you're not doing your job as a sales leader as well. Um, so it's really twofold, right? Um, and it kind of goes into what we talked about at one point. Like I, if I'm working 60 and 70 hours a week, then I'm failing my staff. I'm not developing them to a point where I can trust them to take on certain initiatives and tasks and execute them at a level close to or what I would, if not better. And trust me, I've actually developed people that are now better than me. <laughs> um, so. That's amazing. No, let's stay on that for a second because we're in this world where a lot, you know, we just had, uh, you probably know uh, uh, Tim Clark and what they're doing with Uncrushed and, um, he was just on here talking about how there's this attitude that if I'm not, I'm not crushing it if I'm not doing the 80 hour work week. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that we don't need to work hard because when we sign up to be in sales and especially when we sign up to be a sales leader, we're signing up to work hard. But I want to stay on what you just said, Charisma. I think that's a big uh, point for our sales leaders. You don't have to sacrifice your life in order to be successful. In fact, if you're sacrificing your life, you just told me you might not be being successful. You know, and I think we all have opinions, right? Uh, and, and that's just my opinion. So I love there, it. Are, there are times and evolutions of companies. Um, so when you're Series A or you're, you're seed funding and things of that nature and you're very staff limited, yes, you should be expected to work these crazy, you know, ungodly hours because it's you and two other people, right? Like, so we understand the evolution of how companies grow. But as you become a sales leader and a people manager, because at that point you really aren't managing other people most of the time. You're an IC, you're high level, I function, you're high functioning 
sorry, high level, high functioning individual contributor. Let's be honest at where you are at that stage, right? Yep. Um, but as you get into a series B and series C company, if you aren't developing your, your right hands that you feel like you can go on vacation, if you aren't developing your right hands that you also feel like can now develop other people, then yes, I think you're failing as a leader. I think you're creating an environment, you're creating a culture where people think they have to do things that they don't have to do. Um, that can be done better and can be done with delegation and can be done with learning and peer development. And if you're not taking those opportunities and maybe sucking up the time early on so that you can have the time back later, then what you're doing is creating this perpetual environment where not everyone is growing at the right clip to make the organization scale hyper fast. I think that is so well said. That's another first that someone's come on the show and talked about. I'm so stoked you're on here today. That is a really good litmus test. At the end of the day, if you're not able to to develop people who can do this job, then that means you're not doing that great of a job as a seller. It's fantastic. I couldn't agree more. So it's funny how you kind of couch it. Yeah, it's my opinion. Everybody's been, no, I love it, man. That's, that is so good, Charisma. Uh, well, thank, thank you. You know, and I wish I could take a hundred percent credit for this, but, um, and I won't, I won't say that he doesn't probably still work 80 hours a week because he's just obsessed and sometimes there's obsession and, and it makes you happy and that's fine. <laughs> you know, everyone, you know, we all have our things. Um, but G2 Patel, um, who's now the, the chief, uh, strategy officer at Vox. I worked with him at Simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, he's a, he's a phenomenal leader who um, really pushes you in various ways to really think outside the box and think about how you look at yourself as a leader and how you transfer those different skill sets to other individuals. And while I thought I was good when I got to him at that, um, how I functioned cross-functionally after being with him, as well as how I thought about developing people not only to my level, but past my level, because you can do that, right? You may not be able to do it yourself, but you find the resources to do it. I have to say, I have to, to kind of give him a shout out and a little bit of credit there. Um, even if he may still work probably 80 hours a week, I, I can't promise he does, but I would be surprised if he didn't. So so let's talk about how you do that. I, I want to make sure that with a little bit of time that we still have. So you, what are the things you need to do? Now you're talking about one of my greatest weaknesses. I have these seven deadly sins that you do as a sales leader. One of them is you're a crutch instead of a coach. And I, I fall victim to that all the time. I love the job. I do too much of it. And when I think I'm developing people and helping them, I'm actually stunting their growth because I'm actually not. What are some ways that you can like throw out to help our, our listeners, you know, get some ideas? Here's what it means to really be developing next bench, uh, strength of, of leaders. Absolutely. And so I'm going to boil it down to two major things. And there's, there's lots of nuances to, 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 to in varying levels, but I'm going to boil it, boil it down to mostly two things. One would be helping them to seek to understand and do something I call questioning for self-discovery. Anytime you give someone the answer, they're going to ask you two more questions and come with no solutions. Every time you ask someone three questions and they come up with the answer, they're going to bring two solutions to you next time. And you're going to have a dialogue about what is the best solution or maybe a compromise between the solutions. And then you have someone who's strategically thinking and driving the business forward. And so before you just give someone an answer, you should try to find out where they've looked for the answer or what are the various data points in the context around why they're asking the question and help guide them to the answer so it's their data. Once you say, well, it sounds like you're saying this and they're saying, well, I'm saying this, this is what I think we should do. And I'm like, Sounds like a great idea. 
you have my approval, go do it. What they've now done is they've come up with the idea themselves and they've developed the confidence now that they can think through the problem from the beginning to end and then they can bring you a solution next time. And then you're just like, yeah, go ahead. And then at some point, what they do is they don't all ask your permission anymore. What you've done is enabled them and then empowered them. And now you just get out of their way. That is really good suggestion. So get in the habit instead of when they bring you a question, uh, instead of being in the habit of putting yourself up on the po- on the pedestal and saying, yeah, thanks for coming to see the all-knowing Oracle. I've got an idea for you. Instead, it's turning around and saying, what do you think? And having them be conditioned to come with a couple of options that you then will help counsel with them on rather than tell them what to do. Yeah. Or, or sometimes it actually is a little more complex depending upon the level, the level of career that they're coming in at. Sometimes what you're doing is, well, if you do that, what do you think will happen here? What you're trying to do is take them through failure analysis, take them through problem solving, taking them through the various things that can go right or wrong in the decision they're trying to make. So they ask themselves those questions in the future and, and either come to you with a solution and later they're already doing failure analysis before they ever make a decision. Teach them to do failure analysis. Good. Anything else you, that uh, is kind of in your go-to moves for developing great leaders? I love yeah. that one. That's a fantastic one. The, the other thing that I really love to do is, well, besides give them other resources, like if I don't have the answer and maybe the head of marketing has the answer, make sure that I broker that introduction and get them resources, um, but kind of help them develop like the foundation and blueprint for their organization so that they can go execute against it and then give them other resources. So a great example is if you have a new up and coming SDR manager, help them understand what a capacity model is so that they understand how, what inputs to keep into the functioning machine so that they can get the right outputs, but then don't build all of it for them or with them, you know, introduce them to Sam Nelson from outreach, uh, send them to, you know, um, unleash, send them other places to find resources. So they understand that growth and, and development isn't just about a manager, but it's about the other resources and the ecosystem that they can pull from and that they build themselves. And so I, I think when you think in terms of who can I introduce them to that knows more than me <laughs> or is yeah. better than me as yeah. much as how can I help them grow or how can I help them maneuver, you know, hard conversations. Then what you've really done is you tell them like, I don't have all the answers, but you know what? You can trust me to help you find them. And then you know what? Eventually you'll find them on your own and you'll be better than me. Those are two killer ones. You got anything else you want to drop or is that, is, is that kind of good for now? I mean, any final thoughts on developing leaders? Um, before you invest a lot of time, just do one real quick analysis and make sure that you've, you've analyzed both for will and skill. I think the two mm. biggest failures in leaders where they invest, you know, time or attention where they're never going to grow a leader or maybe they may never drive performance it is not taking a step back and looking at their people and saying, do I have a will or a skill issue? Okay, you know, they're not willing to do what I need them to do. I have an ego problem you know, back out of that. Don't spend a lot of time trying to fix something that you can't. Uh, and then focus on your individuals who are really high, who may be lower skill, but are really high will, because if people are willing, they can move mountains. And so focus your attention there, because then once they click, you'll have built someone that can be a leader for life. Those are fantastic. I'm, uh, I knew this would happen. I knew that we'd start to run out of time. And so I want to make sure that we finish the way that we do everyone. So I want to start working that direction because you've given us a great blueprint. And uh, I love the conversation around milestones. You absolutely have a unique perspective on, on building leaders. And I appreciate that all of our listeners are better as a result. So I, I, I want to go to the, uh, this question. As a sales leader, we all know that we're kind of ruled by the scoreboard of sales, right? Other than wins, charisma, 
how can a sales leader know if they're having an impact with their team? Uh, absolutely. And I think this kind of goes back to, to what we've been talking about. So when I look at so to me, it's about you always have to hit your number first and foremost, right? If the company is not growing, you're, you're, yeah. you're doing something very wrong. But the second thing is, is look back at your career. And do you have a track record of people that will follow you or people that have been who have continued to grow in their career and grew substantially under you? And, and have they now grown, you know, to your level or past you? And I think if you are a good leader and you effectively manage anyone that's early career and you've seen that trajectory of growth, you can look back at your, your, your career history and say that you've been a good, a good leader. Uh, if you look back at your career history and you see that the people who you've tutelaged uh, tootled or tutored <laughs> or mentor, mentored is a better word. Yeah, careful, mentor, much better word. Okay? I'm, I'm, lear- I'm, lo- I'm losing words as I keep talking. It's been a long day. But as you look back and you look at the people that you've mentored, um, if they haven't grown substantially with you and then shortly thereafter, there's might be something that you still have to learn as a leader um, because also part of driving results and hitting the number that needs to be on the board is inspiring those people who work for you to do that. And if you're not commanding respect and you're demanding respect, you're going to see that they're not growing as individuals and you're going to miss your number. I love that command versus demand. That's, that's a really good way to look at it. And there's got to be a lot of ways that you can do a good self-assessment and say, am I commanding or demanding? That's really good. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, ask yourself, am I giving them the answers? And then they keep asking me more answers and I, I get frustrated. Or am I helping them get to the answers on their own? Um, am I willing to roll up my sleeves and still make sales calls? Do I come and help do still strategy with them? And then all of those things, that those little things that you do that you, you know, lead by example, that becomes a way that you command the team to want to follow you because you've got their buy-in. They understand that you know what you're, you're doing and that you're willing to do the same things that they're doing. When you demand they do it and you give them little to no insight, blueprint, or guidance, then what you're asking them is to blindly follow you, and we know what that, how that ends. Yeah, without a doubt. I love that. So I'm going to finish it up now the same way I finish everything, uh, Charisma. I can't wait to hear your answers to my two questions that I finish every episode with. So the first one, and this one I'm, I'm, I'm really actually looking forward to, especially given our conversation we just had. Toughest sales leadership challenge you faced in your career, and, and how, how do you address that? How do you face it down? You know, it's, it's funny. I've been, I've been thinking about that question um, for some time since we've, uh, we've been thinking about it. Um, you know, the tough that I've faced in my career, you know, I think um, I would be remiss if I didn't share that as as a woman coming up in sales and especially in the early 90s and technology that there wasn't inherent bias and things of that nature that you face. Um, but, you know, I, I feel that one's a, a bit played out now. But what I will say is a um, and that's probably not a fair statement to say a bit played out. But for me, I don't want to use that one because I think we all know that. Uh, what I would like to say is my biggest challenge is, is there's probably aftermath of those where I feel like I have to take on more or I have to own more than necessarily I need to, um, to show my value. And so what I would challenge anyone is, is to what are you really trying to accomplish within the organization? How are you planning to drive growth for that company? Cause that's your, that's your responsibility as a sales leader and stay hyper-focused there. And don't feel like you have to own all of the eggs in the basket you can certainly share them and develop them and work really well and have really great tight cross-functional relationships without having to own everything. And if you focus there, then I think you'll be a better leader and you'll, you'll also have uh, more momentum and buy-in internally. And it's something I, I feel like I do well sometimes, but I constantly need to remind myself and, and to focus on doing better at. 
I'm so glad you picked that one. That's not one anybody's ever said either. You're like full of firsts today, Charisma. You know, everything you're bringing up is a first. I'm thinking of a, of a young sales leader that I'm particularly close to right now, uh, that, that this gentleman in particular, he wants to own everything he can. Do you, is that something that you see as more common when you're new to the job of a sales leader? Is it, is it all the way through new, middle, end? Is that something you kind of learn as you go? Because I was counseling him. I was like, man, you don't want to take all that on. If you take too much, you're going to be only average at everything. Any thoughts around where you see that showing up? You know, I think it can probably manifest itself at any level of career. I think it's more about probably yourself as an individual and the type of mentor that you've been lucky enough to be exposed to as you've grown in your career. Um, or, or that's kind of my opinion or my take on it. What, what I would say is earlier on, what you, what I would say more so than, than you're, than you're trying to prove yourself is you want to learn so much. And so what I would say is, and this is why people title chase very early on in their careers and realize that they're going down a path they don't even love is I would challenge everybody to take a step back and and really say, what are three things that I'm hyper passionate about um, that I feel like I add a lot of value to, and then really focus on developing your skill sets around that and owning some and owning something that fits around that and doing it really, really well to the point that someone asks you to take something else on. That's when you've realized that you've developed yourself um, to a point where you want to and should own something else. That's a great, I love that answer. Thank you so much. Last one, we've, we've, we've burned through the time. I can't believe it. I feel like I just barely started talking to you. Uh, leaders are readers. We find that leaders, the great ones at least, never are done learning. I don't care if it's blogs. I don't care if it's audibles. I don't care if it's a, if it's a, a, a page turner. Uh, what would you recommend that people that either are or aspire to be great sales leaders, anything they should be reading? So I'm going to, I'm going to say two things. One, they should find influencers on LinkedIn that they love. Um, anyone who's an entry level sales development manager, I tell them to follow outreach and Sam Nelson. I'm going to do a shameless plug there. Um, for myself, yes, I read, I read a lot of uh, blogs and various things from companies and in various industries and verticals that I'm really interested in trying to understand more about their space. Um, I also love to read like TechCrunch and different articles. Um, of that nature. I find at my age these days, I digest information better in that short format. Um, but uh, I am reading a new book and I'm going to do a shameless plug for Matt Alter because I, I think he's amazing and I've learned a lot from him, whether directly or indirectly. But I am reading and, and I'm not through it all the way, but so far I've been really impressed and it's been a while since I've read a read a uh, workbook. I read big books for fun most of the time now and read short publications for work. But sales engagement, how the world's fastest growing companies are modernizing sales through humanization at scale. Um, Part of why I'm attracted to that one right now as well is while they're more automation based, it really has some of the fundamental thoughts that AI has. And and I've seen being here, I've seen some significant growth at companies that we've helped. Uh, So just understanding how that humanization at scale and how, you know, harmoniously people and automation and AI can work together um, is really intriguing to me right now. So, so far I've been loving that book. I love that book too, because uh, Max featured me on page 110. When you get there, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to be very sad that I'm not featured in it. Page 110. Let me know how it goes. I love it. It's already my favorite page, Rob. That's you're, you're a girl after my own heart. Listen, <laughs> This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. I'm sure we're going to have people who are saying, man, this was a killer of interview. How do people get more of you? How do they get more of, of Conversica? How do they continue to learn more and connect with you and all of that? How do they get more? 
You know, um, I, you, you, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I certainly post articles and share some of my thoughts. I need to do a blog there. I've gotten chastised quite frequently about that. Um, but you know, most of the time, feel free to, to email me. Um, you know, charisma.moraskatconverska.com. You can ping me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always open to have conversation about the industry. Um, don't come hit me up with a bunch of sales calls. I get tons of those. If you think it really adds value, I'll, I'll listen. But otherwise, you know, if you want to talk shop or if you want some advice or if you think you can give me advice on how to be better, because I would love it too, um, please hit me up. I'm always, I'm always open for conversation. All right. Her name is Charisma Moraski. She was winning titles as a five-year-old selling Girl Scout cookies. She's still now leading the charge today into the hot space of AI, Charisma. You're an amazing uh, sales leader. You're a terrific conversation. You've made each of our listeners better by joining our show. Thank you so much and happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And what a fantastic conversation that was with Charisma. Um, she's doing killer things over at Conversica. I've had the opportunity to be on site over there and see what they're doing. And they're, it's a fantastic organization, uh, really doing cool things as AI emerges on the scene for salespeople. Definitely you want to check them out. Um, but it was interesting to listen to her blueprint for what gets you into and what keeps you into high growth mode. And if you track it back to where she got started in her, in her career, she learned from some really awesome people. Network Solutions is a company that many of you may not be familiar with today, but back in the early 2000s, that was the big dot-com company. That was the company that really helped invent and, and mainstream a lot of the things that we take for granted today. And so that was a killer, killer place to get an MBA, a PhD, and, and how to enter into and stay into high growth mode. And it was evident as you listened to her talk, two things really jumped at me that I think are worth breaking down, and I hope you could kind of take some time and think about this week after listening to her. One, to be into high growth mode, you have to have a model of, of what awesome looks like. You have to know what a win looks like. You have to be able, can't scale wins unless people don't know what it looks like. And what was interesting to me was she immediately didn't talk about the activities that her salespeople did. It was the milestones that the salespeople achieved. And I'm telling you, that was super insightful, and you don't get there unless you've been doing that for a while. Um, the, the concept of having customer verifiers, it's not just that the salesperson did these activities, but that you got physical evidence, so to speak, from a customer saying, this is, this is me saying that we've done this stage uh, correctly. And, and we work with tons and tons of sales leaders, and it's very interesting to me how unclear the goal of a sales stage is to many sales leaders and many salespeople. It's just this stage. And when we ask people what's the goal, a lot of times there's interesting debate. And when we ask what's the verifier, a lot of people just think that's just the exit criteria. Exit criteria, I get it. It makes sense. I love it. However, exit criteria by itself doesn't really mean it has to be completed by the customer. Milestones are only true milestones if there's some kind of effort that's happened from the customer as well. Early on, it can be as simple as them accepting a calendar invite. As you go through, they need to be doing things with you. And she talked about closed plans, and she talked about everything she talked about that was milestone-related really had customers having buyer engagement, not just seller engagement. So that's, that's a really big one, and I, I think that if you start looking at that, you'll understand why she said, I don't want to sell to someone. I want to be in a sales process with someone. 
That is so well said. And you ought to really stop and say, are we in sales processes with people or are we selling to organizations? I think that'll be an eye opener. It's worth your time to take a little bit of time and just map out and say, okay, so on my exit criteria, on my milestones, on my stage advancements, what are the physical things that come from the customer that give me evidence that it was actually done? Because that's the easiest way to deal coach rather than deal chase. Um, I, I, I can't underline an exclamation point what she said enough. But the one that I think was really interesting on top of that was her approach to developing leaders. I, I, I found it really fascinating. The, the thing that I wrote down that I keep coming back to as I've listened to our conversation a couple times if you can teach people to find solutions rather than just what the solution is, you're going to help them a lot more than if you just give them answers. I love what she said, you know, where have they looked? What was their process? What have they done? Guide them to answers. Don't just give them answers. Um, that's really part of avoiding one of the deadly sins of being a sales coach or a sales leader, the deadly sin of being a coach. I'm sorry, a crutch, not a coach. It's the one I fall victim to all the time. I'm always the crutch instead of the coach. And so you know you're doing it. As I've thought this through, here's the lens that you should look through. You know you're building leaders when they're bringing you solutions rather than questions. When they're bringing you, this is the problem and this is what my process was and this is what I want to do about it, you know you've developed leaders. And so I really think that's a good idea also this week to sit down and go back and look over what's happened to the careers of the people that have worked with and for you. Are they advancing? Are they thriving? You know, are they growing fast? Are they, are, are, are they doing things that they otherwise wouldn't have done, not because they work for you now, but because you taught them in a way and mentored them in a way that they were able to take things and throw gas on a fire? Mm -hmm. And so that's a really good way of understanding how good you are at de developing leaders. Because if you can model what awesome looks like and have people become milestone-oriented so they understand their sales activities and their sales engagement needs to create verifiers and buyer engagement, but while you're doing it, you're developing people to be leaders, so they need less and less of you so you can do more and more with other people. That's when you'll scale. That's when you'll truly stay into high growth mode. And that's why it's so important to measure coachability. She talked about skill and will. Listen, if you, you need to be able to quantify uh, the, their, their capability and their success in your process. Really easy ways to do that that I'd ha be happy to talk to anybody about. But also, you need to be setting a coaching goal at the end of every one-on-one -on -one and then measuring, are they hitting it or not? It's the easiest way to measure coachability, and it's the thing you need to do for your time allocation, for your discretionary time, maximize your time with those that respond to coaching. And so understanding willingness to change is the biggest indicator of who's going to be a great leader. You can be someone who crushes quota and hits their goal, but if you are resistant to change, I got news for you. You will be a bad leader because companies need people who can adapt and change. Every company needs to be able to change, so that's why you need to be able to measure coachability. I hope that's interesting. I hope you liked Charisma. You know, to those of you that keep reaching out, thank you so much. We appreciate these great uh, reviews we're getting on your podcast sites. Please, please, if you're liking what you're hearing, go out there and give us those five-star reviews. Tell your friends about it. If you have other people that you think we ought to be interviewing on the show, we definitely want to hear from you on it. And as always, don't worry. Just execute, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. 
The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.